Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And hi. Wow. Have we ever been on the road, or I should say in the air, the last uh, three weeks? We are finally back home in Utah, but wow, we have had a fabulous adventure. We just came this last flight from the whole globe, uh, from New York City, um, a couple of days ago, visiting our family there. And we have had the most amazing experience of learning and growing and meeting new people and new cultures, and we've had a great time. I hope some of you were able to listen the last two or three weeks because we, I think we did one show from Dubai and another one from Moscow and, and one, um, I can't even remember, but, <laughs> but round the world trips, as some of you know, are, are pretty interesting. And if you go, if you go east and go on around the world, you're jet lagged all the it's time. It's a killer. You're, you're flying at night and you're trying to catch up and you're on different days and so on. But if you fly west, and if you um, take it a little easy, if you if you don't go more than maybe an eight-hour flight on any given day, and maybe you lose three hours, you lose three, gain three hours, I should say. So your days are twenty-seven hours, twenty-eight hours, but you're flying during the daylight, and you go to sleep uh, very tired each night and sleep pretty well, and you never get jet lag. And you wake up early. It's really pretty cool. Yeah. We should do that every year. We should do that all the time. <laughs> In fact, if you kept flying uh, fast enough, the, the day would never pass, right? You'd keep gaining time until you got to the international <laughs> dateline, and then you'd lose a day. Well, so, actually, the nice part for me was that I woke up on my birthday in Zurich with our little family there, and I, we got on a plane. And one we, of our sons lives one there. One of our sons family. lives there. And um, then we flew eight and a half hours on a plane, and then we arrived in New York City about two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, because we gained five or six hours. Six hours. Time, so. so uh, and then I spent the rest of the day with our little family in New York City. Another son lives there. And in Central Park and the glories of that with two little children, little preschoolers who were so adorable. And so I had a six hours extra birthday. Your, your birthday was 30 hours long and you got to see some of the kids that we don't see very often. That is a pretty good birthday. It was absolutely awesome. And, and we don't want to talk too much more about your, about your birthday, do we? Because... We're at the age where we re, we uh, resist birthdays, we we regret them, we we try to not let them happen to us. Oh my us. gosh! You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> uh, my dad always used to say to me, "Don't talk about my birthday. I don't want I don't want anybody mentioning my birthday. I don't." And I thought, Dad, how could you possibly say that? It was the most exciting day of the whole year. It's so fun to have a birthday, but now I know kind of how he feels. <laughs> I just assume not worry about it as it passes by every year. Now, lest any of you think this round-the-world traveling is extravagant, let us say a couple of things. First of all, we were we were on a little bit of a speaking tour, and we made three speeches while we were on our way around, but... We also were able to plan it, so we got to see five of our kids on the way, on different stops. And the other thing, and again, this is not a travel show, but some of you may know that round-the-world fares are actually incredible deals. Um, <coughs> you can actually fly around the world if you plan it carefully or if you have a company. There are a lot of companies that do round-the-world tours, and um, 
they cost less than one overseas flight. Yeah, it really is true. It was less than uh, some of the tickets we've just bought to London. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it seems impossible, but we did have a nice travel agent who figured out how to get us miles on each of our legs. And so we ended up with miles. It really is a great deal. In fact, we wrote our, our column in the Deseret News this week on, on travel and on the idea that sometimes, especially, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who we hear saying, you know, I'd really like to travel someday. And as soon as I get the kids raised, I'm going to do some traveling. And that's great. I mean, that, that's a perfectly logical thing to think. But traveling is a, a, an amazing education for kids whenever you can bring them along. And, and then again, the response is often, well, you know, there's no way I could travel with kids. It's way too expensive. But here's an interesting thing. We, um, the actual uh, travel by air can be inconvenient and kind of a little bit uh, hard at times, but it's actually cheaper if you shop around and use online sites to travel on jet planes today than it was 20 or 30 years ago. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Especially if you do it in advance. We have kids who are going all over Europe, and they said they found a ticket from England to Zurich, I think it was, because they did it six months in advance for $7. You know, these little I cut-rate mean, airlines in, in that Europe is are amazing. incredible. And uh, one of our sons just told us he found a, a ticket to go from Los Angeles to Barcelona in Spain, a round-trip ticket for $300. I mean, it can be extremely economical to fly. And, and uh, what we were writing the, the article in the Deseret News on was, um, the title of it was, Don't Let School Get in the Way of Your Education. And what we mean by that is, Sometimes, not always, but sometimes taking kids on trips is a tremendous part of their education, their exposure to other cultures and so on. Now, don't get us wrong. I mean, we are going to get to the topic that is listed today right right now. But we do want to say we love the teachers our kids have had and we love um, the education they've had. But we feel like, um, you know, there is a way to supplement that and especially when there are so many students in a classroom, it's so nice to winnow them out once in a while and get them off and, and help educate them now, themselves. Now, Linda, with that long-winded introduction that we both made, the subject we wanted to discuss or bring up or get into a little bit today is a surprisingly interesting one to us, at least, and it's the story of Adam and Eve. Not just as a Bible story or as the first thing in the Bible or as... A uh, question of were they real or were they a fable and all the other things that happen when Adam and Eve are discussed, but as a love story, as a model for some of the things we need to learn within our marriages today and within our families. I guess this was stimulated by a, a, an article we read in the Wall Street Journal not long ago, which was written by one of our favorite authors who we've mentioned on this show before, Bruce Feiler a wonderful writer and researcher who we have had lunch with and liked because one of his earlier books was on parenting. And this book is just called Adam and Eve, the first, let's see, I think it's called The First Love Story, Adam, Eve, and Us. And we read it because we knew the author or liked the author, liked what he wrote. But it turns out that it stimulated a lot of thinking on our part. And, and 
the approach we're trying to take in, in some of our writing is that Adam and Eve, and this is Filer's contention too, uh, they're worth studying just because essentially we live in an age of me and individuality and individualism. And Adam and Eve is really the first story of we. I mean, you don't say Adam, you don't say Eve, you know, you, what you say is Adam and Eve. They're known as a couple. They're known as an entity. They're known as one story and quite a story it is when you really, really study it. Well, of course they do have their individual stories because we do sometimes say Adam this and Eve that, but the thing I found fascinating was that Bruce Father is not the only one that's been fascinated with this. This is amazing. Mark Twain was so uh, enamored with the story of Adam and Eve that um, Bruce Feiler says at one point, um, Mark Twain became obsessed with his oldest ancestor at one point, urging planners in New York to replace the Statue of Liberty with the monument to Adam. I mean, that's <laughs> going pretty wild. And he did write a half a dozen pieces about that first couple, including extracts from Adam's diary. And it, it made me want to go back and read that stuff because it's pretty amazing. Well, I think the last two books that he either worked on or maybe one of them wasn't even completed. One was called extracts from Adam's diary. And the other one I think was called the autobiography of Eve, where he was trying to get into that story and figure out who, who they, they really were. But, uh, you know, there, there's other instances of that. Uh, Michelangelo, you know, the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican. Um, of course, the thing you think of when you think of that chapel is that the, the part of it where God is reaching out his hand and Adam is, is uh, almost to touch his hand. But if, but if you actually look, and you can Google this, if you actually look at the very center of the dome, uh, in the Sistine Chapel, it's it's a picture of Eve and of Adam. And um, by the way, Linda, I'm not so sure. I, I don't know if, if Mark Twain came to a different conclusion, but uh, if I was going to replace the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> I'd replace it not with the Statue of Adam, but with the Statue of Eve. Hey, yeah, because there. Eve is the hero of the story, folks. Yes, it, it is. isn't Adam. And you know, it has been to us. Um, we our Mormons live in the Mormon world and we've thought that for a long time but we really are pretty excited that Bruce Feiler came to the same conclusion well and Michelangelo and, and Mark Twain and <laughs> and Michelangelo and by yeah. the way and John Milton by and the John way Milton, because yeah, Paradise Lost really sort of goes the same direction that the, that the choice that Eve made when she chose to become mortal and to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden was an intelligent choice was a reasoned choice. It wasn't some huge flub which uh, made her the anti-hero of all time. Uh, it was the decision that allowed us to be here. It was yeah. the decision that ushered in the mortality, which was God's plan all along. And it was a very, very thoughtful um, decision that she made. And we're not going to go into doctrine today, but we are going to talk about this amazing relationship with Adam and Eve and, and the fact that I think you have it written down somewhere. How do you say that? Uh, you know, we always hear from the scriptures that Eve was made from a rib of Adam's, which 
I've never been oh, yeah, real I wanna, comfortable with. I want to get to that um, right after the break because that's that's sort of the core of what we've been fascinated with. That, that was she really made from his rib, or is there a more wonderful partnership way to to say that? But I did want to just say again that the the idea that's fascinating right out of the shoot is that um, instead of um, Eve and Adam being anti-heroes who brought shame and sin into the world. They are our first parents who not only ushered in mortality and made courageous decisions that were hard on them, but good for mankind. They also were the perfect model. Well, perfect's the wrong word. They were the, the enduring sort of resilient model of a couple that stayed together. And, and that and that weathered the storm and that, uh, you know, got through one hard time after another and stayed together and and well, cared about each other. And had trials, enormous trials in their lives, which we, you know, you know we just read through that part in the Bible and, oh, uh-oh, one of their kids killed one of their other kids. I mean, that was real. I mean, it is something that they had to struggle through together. And uh, there are so many things that he mentions that are just so interesting to think about. So we're going to take a break and continue with this discussion of Adam and Eve as a love story, as, as a story to study in terms of how our marriage is working and how we can improve our marriage and how we can sort of have some inherent goals for resilience and for caring about each other and for remaining together and working at our relationship no matter what happens and surprising that maybe one of the great models or stories to illustrate that is the first story in the oldest recorded history in the world namely the bible so we'll be back in just a minute to talk about that fascinating subject hang on Okay, and we're back, Linda, talking about Adam and Eve, and, and uh, my personal hero is kind of Eve, I, you know, I think she's the one who... <laughs> <laughs> and she's been my personal hero for a long time. It's a pretty amazing story when you think about these people as being real. I mean, it's not just a fable. I mean, some people think it's a fable, but I, I think it, it really happened. Even and, those who think it's a fable, it's a pretty powerful lesson. Yeah, you know? it is for sure. It's just amazing what we can learn from that. And and we were talking a little bit about Bruce Feiler's new book called um, The First Love Story, Adam, Eve, and Us. And it really is, it was a delight to meet him uh, a couple of years ago. We have a son who just graduated from UPenn and he was um, in the positive psychology department and he had done some work, his father had done some work that he was really fascinated with. So he gave us an hour of his time, which was so fun and talk, talking about at that time about the family narrative and how that makes us happy. But this was such a, an amazing article. He's obviously Jewish because he knows the history of those first five chapters of the Bible backward and forward and has done such a good job of research. Yeah, and I think that uh, the story um, in his mind and in ours is that 
it's a story of connectedness. And, and if there's one thing the world needs right now, I mean, think about it. Here, here we are. This is the irony that what does the world need most right now in 2017? And maybe the model or the answer for some of that need is, is the oldest story in the world. Because we are such a divided world right now in so many ways. We're such a divided country politically. We're such a, a divided uh, country and, and society economically and, and in so many ways. And, and divorce is, is, remains a sort of a permanent part of our culture. And, and uh, people now afraid even to get married, even to make a commitment because they think the chances of an enduring are so, so, so minimal. And uh, we're in an era of individuality where everything is about me and everything's about one person and individual rights and individual thoughts and individual ideas. And, and so what do we need? We need a story about connectedness, the idea of committing, the idea of staying together no matter what happens. And, uh, and that's really what this story is. I want to get to the point you mentioned earlier, Linda, that... Uh, this partnership thing, because again, uh, people, uh, the, the world tends to think of Adam and Eve as a story of failure and of a bad choice and of shame and sin and so on. And also as a story of inequality, because here's, here's this little woman who's made from a rib from Adam and who is there to be his helpmate and to keep him from getting lonely. Well, <laughs> that isn't the story if you really read it carefully. And in fact, there's really um, an interesting word, the, the Hebrew word, uh, T-S-E-L-A. I don't know how, I won't try to say it. Although the interesting thing is it's like the word Tesla, only it reverses yeah, two of the, if you like electric cars. But the word T-S-E-L-A, probably Sela is the Hebrew word, which was translated in, in the King James Bible into the word rib. But this is Filer's research again, that, that same word, that Hebrew word is used 38 other times in the Hebrew Bible. And it doesn't refer to a body part, um, uh, or at least very few of them do. Most of them refer to side, someone's side, the side of a person. Uh, and, and when you read that, in the story, it, it sort of has a much more wonderful and different connotation that Adam and Eve, Eve was created at his side. She was his equal. They were side by side. They, they were a partnership. They were a team. And there are some scholars who, who go even further and contemplate the idea that, uh, that Adam, because that's another interesting word, and again, I'm no linguist, but the Hebrew word uh, for God's creation is he Adam, H-E-A-D-A-M, which means the Adam or the human. And so some would go so far as to say that first creation was both man and woman. It was a, it was a human. It was a human that contained all aspects of a human. And then that God divided that human into two parts, a man and a woman. They were side by side. They could then potentially recreate after they made their decision Whoa, and begin, that, begin the human race. That, that's pretty deep. That's, uh, we probably won't figure the answer to that but, right away. But, but again, the interesting thing about 
reinterpreting and, and repositioning those Hebrew words and maybe getting a completely different story. And the other thing that's interesting along those lines is that, uh, you know, there, there really are two accounts of the creation. The one, the one that talks about the rib is in the second chapter of Genesis and the helpmate and, you know, Adam shouldn't be alone. So we'll make something for him to be his little companion. But, but in Genesis one, is the place where it basically says they were created together. They got, well, what it says is God made man in his image, male and female created he them. There's this partnership side by side, uh, the completeness of the two together and the incompleteness of one at a time, which really goes to the whole idea of partnership. Isn't that interesting that <clears throat> that's something I've never thought of. It's pretty it's pretty clear that, you know, those that was a partnership and an amazing partnership. And um, that, boy, what we need to be striving for is to be more like Adam and Eve, who are really pretty amazing people. Um, and so another bottom line of the story, if you think of it in that way, is that we need others. I mean, that this whole thing we're striving for so much in today's world of I want to be my own man I don't want to need anyone I want to be independent I want to stand alone I want to have all my needs met by myself and so on that that's contrary to this this whole first biblical story that we do need others um, C.S. Lewis said it this way we need others if we are to know anything even ourselves Think about that. We, I mean, we always, everything C.S. Lewis said, we seem to love, but uh, we need others if we are to know anything, even ourselves. How do you know yourself if you're by yourself all the time? We, we learn to know each other through, we learn to know ourselves through each other. Right. And the more I read about this, the more I want to read about it. Um, there's a review um, online that says that, um, that this couple really are exemplars of a re resilient relationship that endures even strengthens through hardship and in a time of discord and fear over strength of our social fabric Phila releases civilization's first couple from the box they've been trapped in for generations and shows how they can once more be role models for uni unity and reconciliation and love it really is pretty amazing um, what a great job he's done to talk about the importance of couples. I think it wasn't just Adam and Eve, it was us that he was talking about. It was so important for us to feel these partnerships and to go through hard times together because we know each other better after that, but we also can help each other work through hard times. And, and think of the hard times in capital letters in the great story of Adam and Eve. I mean, you know, what could be a greater crisis than, than one of your children murdering another one. What could be a greater crisis than, than being expelled from uh, an effortless garden and finding yourself in, in a world where everything seems to work against, against you? What could be a greater trial than living as long as they did and continuing to stay together and to come back together and so on? By the way, while we're quoting favorite people, you know, we, we love a lot of Ben Franklin things and he captured this idea that we're not complete alone when he said, 
uh, I, I love this. A single man is like half a pair of scissors. <laughs> a single man is like half a pair of scissors. Now, again, nothing against single people, but, but what we're talking about today is our need for each other. And it was also Ben Franklin, a quote we've all heard and probably used and maybe not attributed to him, but it was Ben Franklin who said, you got to keep your eyes wide open before marriage and half closed after. <laughs> <laughs> maybe even more than half sometimes. Yeah, and so, you know, uh, that ties in with what... Uh, Adam and Eve really were. Um, one, uh, another, here's another great one. Um, man should always be in love. That is the reason one should never marry by Oscar Wilde. Now oh. throw that one out. <laughs> throw that one away. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it really is fun, though, to contemplate your own relationship with your spouse or um the person that you love the most in the world, because this is such a great study on partnerships and uh, on equal partnerships. And maybe, I mean, I, I think you said something about equal equality being, side by side. The idea that, you know, there's two parts to this one whole. That's the, that's certainly what we preach about marriage. Every chance we get all over the world that, uh, you know, there, there, there's a, there's a synergy. There's, there's a business word, or it's used often in business. It works better in marriage. Synergy meaning, you know, two plus two can equal five or ten. The, the, the total can be greater than the sum of its parts. That's what we should all be striving for in our marriage. But again, not without all the difficulties, the hardships. That's the great thing about the story of Adam and Eve. It's not, I mean, it started in this idyllic, oh, we're in a garden, everything's fine. But the story becomes this story of tremendous adversity. And, and one of the bottom lines is that expulsion brings them together. Their hardships don't separate them. They may temporarily and cause problems but their hardships end up forging the relationship. It's like, it's like the opposite of puppy love, the opposite of infatuation, the opposite of, you know, these beginning attractions, which don't last. It's the permanent commitment of real marriage, real love. Well, I think we know that those hardships that are in our marriage, I mean, can go one way or the other. It can tear us apart or it can really pull us together. And that's our challenge to have a find a way to let it pull us together because, you know, even though we're not totally, uh, I mean, equality is, has a little bit of a double edged sword because it's not like we're, we're both doing exactly the same thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's in a way equality. I like your point, Linda. It almost suggests a little competition. Well, am I really equal to you? Am I a little ahead of you? Let's, yeah. But, but it, the Adam and Eve is really not the story of equality. It's the story of oneness of side by side partnership. Right. And you know, that's what partnerships all about. There are some days when I don't like Richard as much as other days. I always love him, but um, you know there there are a lot of hard times. Oh, a dagger in my heart! Oh my gosh, we disagree on something well, about five times a day. But you know, is that why we like this story so much? That's they, why that we like this disagree? story so much because we are both so strong-willed. But I think melding those wills together is just so fun and so important. 
Well, we're nearly out of time, but uh, one last thing, even in the, even in the, and this is the thing that Filer mentions, even in the hit show Hamilton, which is such a fabulous Broadway show, don't forget that it's, um, you know, Eliza, Alexander Hamilton's wife, it's, it's their son's death that finally brings them back together. It's, uh, we can look at adversity as things that solidify and strengthen our marriage, not drive us apart. So anyway, there we go. Kind of a rambling show on kind of some powerful stuff. Some deep stuff and some serious stuff. And, and we hope it uh, plays out in your lives. If you're married, think about this, about the importance of uh, this partnership you're involved work, in and how to improve it. Work on your marriage. It's the most important work you'll ever do. And we'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.